Good morning, everybody. How many of you uh, enjoy sitcoms? My hand is way up. Most of us like sitcoms. Uh, we all grew up on sitcoms. No matter how young or old you are, whether you're a baby boomer, a millennial, Gen X, Y, Z, LMNOP, in, in any other generation I may have left out, sitcoms have been a staple for us uh, for all of us growing up. I, I wouldn't even want to guess how many hours of our lives we spent in front of the TV watching The Office, The Simpsons, Parks and Recreation, Friends, Seinfeld, Roseanne, or going back even further, Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, All in the Family, uh, or any other of the literally hundreds and hundreds of sitcoms that that have entertained us over the years. Sitcoms have been and continue to be hugely popular, and it's not difficult to see why. I mean, they make us laugh, and laughter is not only a lot of fun and enjoyable, but psychologists tell us it's, it's really good for us, very good for us. But you also have to wonder how else these sitcoms have impacted or influenced our lives. You have to wonder what kind of influence Archie Bunker had on our culture. Uh, of course, everybody laughed at his idiocy and you know, seemingly very limited life perspective. I mean, it made for great comedy, at least it did back then. Uh, nowadays, perhaps not so much. But did Archie Bunker, the, the, the character you know, played by uh, Carol O'Connor, did he influence people in other, perhaps more subtle ways? After all, everybody loves somebody who makes them laugh, right? Even if they maybe do have some serious issues. And, and people tend to emulate, emulate people they love, often subconsciously. Roseanne Barr is a classic example, top-rated sitcom in her day. Seemed that people just couldn't get enough of her sarcastic, snarky, cynical, often caustic and rude uh, personality but it made for great comedy. But I suspect that her snarkiness and cynicism was so entertaining and fun that a good number of people wound up emulating it in real life, even if subconsciously. In fact, I would bet good money on it. She, she made it seem so empowering, didn't she? I mean, her stinging, sarcastic wit it gave her the upper hand and, and deftly cut other, other people down to size, you know, deserving people. Uh, she virtually became a cultural icon, a hero. But in the fictional world, people can be rude and toxic and controlling and bossy and cynical and chronically negative and still be adorable and loved by all, right? In the, in the fictional world realm. In the real world, not so much. In real life, such people are really just they're people that are difficult to love. And they always seem to be shocked when they discover that people don't love them the way they loved Ro Roseanne Barr or Archie Bunker or Michael Scott. In real life, everybody just chalks such a person up to just, you know, being a jerk, right? which, of course, they resent, you know. 
Why am I not loved by Roseanne Barr? I'm using all the same lines that she used. I mean, you know, I don't get it. Dysfunctional characters drive comedy. There's probably even some kind of rule about that. And I, I, I think it's maybe supposed to help us laugh at ourselves a little bit. But it turns out that character traits like love and joy and peace, turns out those things don't make for good comedy. <laughs> or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I'll tell you what they do do is, is make for an excellent life in the real world a fulfilling and purpose-filled life, a life that is rich and satisfying. We're two weeks into a series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit called Getting Ripe with God. The fruit of the Spirit is a famous list of virtues or qualities the Apostle Paul enumerates in his letter to the Christians living in the prov province of Galatia in the first century. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a whole bunch of letters to Christians scattered all over the Roman Empire in the first century, and copies of those letters have been preserved through antiquity and have been passed down to us. Here's a direct quote from that letter to the Galatians where he enumerates the fruit of the Spirit. This is what he says. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In this series, we're going to look at this list of virtues and, and look at ways that we might more fully open up our lives to the Holy Spirit so that we might produce these kinds of quality, this kind of fruit. And I mean, who doesn't want this kind of fruit in their lives? You know, who doesn't want to be a more loving person besides Roseanne Barr and Archie Bunker? Or, or a more joy-filled person, or to have a life more characterized by peace and patience and kindness. Who, who would say that when it comes to goodness and faithfulness, well, I've got about as much of that as I can manage right now, or gentleness or self-control. See, these are qualities that the vast majority of us crave especially if you're a Jesus follower. You earnestly desire a life characterized by these qualities. And that's why I said last week, as we introduced this series, that this is going to be a delicious series. It, it's going to be yummy. It's going to taste good to your spirit, your soul. And my hope and prayer is that this series will refresh you and energize you the same way fruit energizes and refreshes your body. This, this series is going to energize and refresh your soul. But we explored the question last week as to why these qualities, if, if they're so desirable and so wonderful, why don't we have them in greater abundance? Why don't we have more of them? In fact, when you really think about it, it seems like these qualities are actually fairly difficult for us to produce. It's really hard to, to love others. I mean, to really love them, if you think about it. Uh, I mean, you know, some people are easy to love, you know, your friends, the people who like you, people that laugh all, at all your jokes. But, but Jesus said, I mean, even heathens do that. Even heathens love people that love them. He's called us 
to love everybody, even our enemies, which is not so easy. Even people who are most close to us, people in our own family and in our own homes can sometimes be the most difficult to love. Joy is not easy to come by these days. Peace, certainly not. All these fruits of the Spirit, when you really think about it, are difficult for us to produce. But when you think of a fruit tree, you never see a, a tree uh, just, just really working hard to produce fruit. No, it seems that a fruit tree just bears fruit naturally, effortlessly. So why isn't that the case for us human beings when it comes to bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Well, as we talked about last week, there is a prerequisite. And without this prerequisite, our lives cannot and will not bear the fruit of the Spirit. What is that prerequisite? What was it? A little louder. Humility, thank you, yes. Humility, we said, is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit grows. This is what we talked about last week. No humility, no fruit. No, no genuine love, no authentic joy, no real peace, no, no uh, palpable patience. Humility is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit grows, which explains why Paul may not have included it in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. I've often debated why humility was left off the list. Seems like it should have been included. Some have suggested that maybe Paul's aim here wasn't to, to present an exhaustive list of all the qualities the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, which may be true, but I'm one of those guys who actually believes that, that all the Scripture has been supernaturally inspired by God, so whether Paul intended to produce an exhaustive list or not, these are the qualities that the Holy Spirit chose to be recorded in a document that one day would famously be referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. And it turns out to be an amazingly comprehensive list. Um, there's only two things that I can think of that, that maybe should have been in there that were, for some reason, which we'll explore, were so, for some reason it, uh, omitted. You, you say, well, you know, come on, I can think of lots of things. Like, what about righteousness? Righteousness is in, the, in that list, and how come, you know, uh, so maybe not an exhaustive list. But, but uh, uh, righteousness actually, I think, is actually, it, it's covered in the word goodness, right? And maybe self-control and love. Or how about honesty? Honesty is another quality. Well, honesty, I think, is covered in the word faithfulness and goodness and, of course, love. In fact, Love it really is the, the starting point of really all these virtues and qualities. But every other virtue or quality that I can think of falls into one of the nine kinds of fruits of the Spirit. Paul lists here. I can only think of two, two that seem, at least at first glance, that they should be on the list of the fruit of the spirits, but aren't. And the first one we talked about, humility. Um, but as I pointed out last week, I think... We make a big mistake when we see humility as a quality that we develop or cultivate. Here's why I think that humility is not actually a fruit of the Spirit, not something that you produce or manufacture. In fact, manufactured humility is really not humility at all. Real humility, I believe, is a posture that you assume. 
It's a reality that you reckon with and acknowledge. It's, it's finally thinking of yourself accurately, seeing yourself as you really, truly are in reality, which actually is devoid. You and I are devoid of any redemptive qualities in and of ourselves. That's the reality. Humility is coming to terms with where you're really at. In fact, the word humility, along with the word humble, have their roots in, in the Latin word humus, which literally means the earth. Uh, we, we're reviewing what we talked about last week. The earth, the, the dirt, the ground. So humility is simply remembering that you came from the dirt, and you really have nothing that you can take credit of in and of yourself, which is why humility is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit grows. It is, it is your part in the partnership that enables you to grow the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's what you need, or perhaps where you need to go, before you can even begin the process of, re, of reproducing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. It, it, isn't humility what you need before you can even really turn to God? Isn't that the first step that you must take? You have to admit you're a sinner. You have to surrender, to give up, to lay down your life, to acknowledge your helplessness, your weakness, your sin. It, and it's the one thing that God cannot do for you. You must do it. You and you alone must humble yourself, which is why it cannot actually be a fruit of the Spirit, or rather the prerequisite for growing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, of course, God will help you. God seems always to be eager to help you connect with that reality. But you and only you can acknowledge your unworthiness and turn to God. And that is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit grows. And to, to the degree that you humble yourself and live in humility will be the degree to which you bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, that's the first one of the two things that I think maybe should have been included in the list of the spirits, or at least I thought at one time, but have been omitted for some reason. And I gave you uh, the reason why I believe it was omitted. Now, what's the other one, do you think? What other thing? And I mentioned it actually earlier. What, what's the other one? Gratitude. Gratitude. There, there, there is something else we commonly tend to think of as a virtue or a character quality, but it's actually not at all. It's, it's something else entirely. We are led down the wrong path when we think that way, that it is a virtue or a character quality. This is similar to humility in that it's more like a posture we assume that acknowledges the reality of our true condition. And, and it's something God or the Holy Spirit cannot do for us. It's something we must willingly choose on our own. Gratitude. Gratitude. It's, it's not a quality you develop as much as it is a posture that you maintain. And this is not a character rate 
character trait that is like way up here that you really have to strive and exert a lot of effort. No, it's, it's something that is down here uh, that is easily and readily acceptable to every single one of us, but it requires a surrendering, a letting go, a giving up of ourselves and recognizing that we are the recipients of, of blessings and privileges and opportunities we did nothing to deserve and could never, ever earn. Gratitude and humility kind of go hand in hand in that sense, don't they? See, it's not the Holy Spirit's job to produce humility or gratitude in us. That's, our, that's the posture we must take. That's our job. It's our appropriate response to God. It's our choice. It's the decision that we make. Two prerequisites from grow, uh, for growing the fruit of the spirits in our lives. We choose them. Well, Jim, how does gratitude require surrendering and letting go and giving up of ourselves? Glad you asked. What, what, what's the opposite of gratitude, would you say? I mean, the obvious answer would be ingratitude, right? But, but let's I want to hear from you. What, what, what do you think are some of the things that are opposite of gratitude? Complaining. Bitterness. Ungratefulness. Selfishness. Yes. Somebody back here. Entitlement. What is it? Thoughtlessness. I think, I think probably in, in, in my, where I'm going today, uh, think about the word entitlement as being the opposite of gratitude. Entitlement is believing that you for some reason are owed something. Something, you know, desirable. Something you want. You believe you're entitled to it. It's your right. You know, no, nobody ever feels entitled to something bad. Have you ever no noticed that? Only they're entitled to something good. And you, for some reason, are owed this something good. Often simply because somebody else has it, you think you should have it too. A lack of gratitude, a sense of entitlement, will keep you from producing the fruit of the Spirit the way God wants you to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Think about it. Have you ever encountered an ungrateful person or an entitled person who is known for how loving they are? Or joyful? or filled with peace, or patience. Here's the thing about gratitude, and you've been, if you've been coming to hope for any length of time, you've heard me say this many times before, and it bears repeating. Gratitude always produces joy. Gratitude always produces joy. And the wonderful, surprising reality is that gratitude is a simple choice that you can make, a posture that you can assume. You choose to be grateful, which means you can choose to be joyful. No, you can't, Jim. Come on. Uh, gratitude is a byproduct, okay? It's a byproduct of things going your way. Things go your way, and then you're grateful, you know, of, uh, of getting something that you want. It, it comes from having favorable circumstances. Uh, beg to differ. Uh, that's not actually true. Having things go the way you want them to go, favorable circumstances, does not always result in gratitude, especially if you feel entitled to it all. 
like you've earned it. You deserve it. This is rightfully yours. You were owed it for some reason. If you feel entitled to it and you don't get it, well, then you're unhappy, you're resentful, you're depressed, maybe even you become a little hostile. In those situations, getting what you want doesn't typically produce gratitude. It may result in happiness. Getting what you want may result in happiness, at least temporarily, but happiness is not the same as gratitude or even the same as joy. I know we're getting into a little bit of semantics here, but it's very important to make this distinction, especially considering that virtually every person in the world wants happiness. Happiness is, is just what you think it is. It is the state of being happy. That's, that's something everybody wants. Everybody wants to be happy, even though some people it would seem that they're determined not to be by just their basic attitude toward life. Deep down, everyone wants to be happy. The reason some people seem to be unhappy most of the time is because things aren't going their way most of the time, you know, by their perception. They, they aren't getting their way. They, they don't have what somebody else has. People aren't doing what they want them to do or what they expect them to do. So the circumstances of their life are not favorable and therefore they are unhappy. Happiness is closely related to the word happenstance and the, the two ideas are in fact very connected. If your life circumstances are favorable, you're happy at least temporarily. If your life circumstances are unfavorable, you're unhappy until they're favorable again. This is literally the way most people exist in the world. Jesus has called us and made the way for a very different kind of existence for us, a much, much better kind of existence for us. And I'm going to use an analogy uh, that I've used many times before, an analogy, the analogy of the necklace. Many of you have heard this. If you haven't, listen closely. Life is like a necklace. And most people are on a continual search for beads that they can add to their ever-growing necklace, beads of happiness beads of happy experiences, the acquisition uh, of things, you know, acquiring all the things you want, beads of success, uh, the, all these beads of happiness that you will string together and will ultimately leave you with a happy necklace, a happy life. So we are on a continual search our happiness depends on successfully finding those beads of happiness and stringing them together in one uninterrupted sequence. But for most of us, for all of us really, that's an impossible task. Because beads come along that are just not so happy. And, and there's not a whole lot that you can do about that. Sometimes it seems impossible to find a single happy bead. All that seems available to you are a bunch of unpleasant beads of of hardship and beads of suffering and beads of disappointment or loss. And yet, the Bible tells us, especially us Jesus followers, the Bible tells us, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks, no matter what beads come your way, be thankful. 
See, the beads are an outside job, but gratitude, gratitude is an inside job. So in other words, instead of focusing on the outward, the beads, all these other, you know, all these external circumstances, we're being encouraged here to focus on the inward. Perhaps we are to focus on the string that runs through the necklace and holds the whole thing together, the string that runs through the beads. What if, what if, I think Paul is suggesting here, we choose to make that string gratitude. Be thankful in everything. Because gratitude always produces joy. And gratitude is something you simply choose. It's a posture you assume. Now, this is so powerful because when you choose to be grateful instead of trying to extract happiness and joy from the different beads that wind up on your necklace, you actually bring happiness and joy to those beads, no matter what kinds of beads they they may be. Happy beads or beads of hardship. Maybe beads of suffering, beads of loss or illness, beads of disappointment. Yes, this is what this verse is actually telling us. Always be joyful. Be thankful in all circumstances. No matter what kind of beads you have, be thankful for this is God's will for you. And you can experience joy even when the beads may not be the ones you may have handpicked or they may not be the most happy beads. You say, Jim, but you don't know what's going on in my life. You have no idea the world that I live in. G.K. Chesterton once said this, in this world, if joy is to exist at all, it will have to be able to exist alongside suffering. So even in suffering, it is possible to find things to be grateful for. Yes, it is possible to find things to be grateful for even in suffering. Choose to focus on the things that you can be grateful for and there is literally an infinite number of them when you begin the exercise of actually looking for those things and counting those blessings. In another place, the Apostle Paul said this, be full of joy in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Be full of joy. This is what God wants for your life, that it would be characterized by joy. But it is a decision that you must make. It's a posture you must assume. The guy who wrote those words, let me just tell you a little bit about what the circumstances of his life was. The guy who wrote those words was in the last four years of his life. And it seemed pretty apparent from his other writings that he, that he knew he was, in, he was coming down the end of his life. Just before writing these words, he had been attacked, beaten by an out-of-control mob that nearly killed him. He was misidentified by Roman soldiers as an Egyptian terrorist on the most wanted list, and they falsely arrested him. While in prison in Jerusalem, there was a foiled assassination plot that took place on his life, and then he was escorted by a group of soldiers to a town called Caesarea by the sea where witnesses lied about him, and he became the focal point of a religious trial and political maneuvering, and he was unjustly imprisoned there for two years. Then finally, as a Roman citizen, he appealed for trial with Caesar in Rome, and he set sail for Rome. But while sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, the ship encountered a storm that lasted for two weeks and ultimately ended in a shipwreck. This guy wound up stranded on an island 
called Malta. And during the three months that he, was, that he spent there on Malta, he was bitten by a poisonous snake. And everybody expected him to die. But he just, the Bible actually says he just shook it off. The snake fastened itself to his hand. He just shook it off in the fire. He did not die. After spending some time stranded on the island, he was eventually put back on a ship to Rome where he was put under house arrest for the next two years. Literally, he was chained to a guard 24-7, couldn't even, you know, relieve himself without, be, without a guard right there next to him. His future was very uncertain. A guilty ver verdict could result in his execution at any moment so this is, this, this is the guy that says, be full of joy always, and believed it was totally possible. This is not somebody who was unacquainted with challenges and hardships and disappointments, with difficult circumstances, with difficult people. He was not unacqu un, 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 uh, unacquainted with being tired and worn out and exhausted. And yet during this time when he's in prison, on the heels of all these circumstances that he had gone through, he writes to you and me and he says, always, always be full of joy in the Lord. Let me say it again, always rejoice. And he really believed joy was possible for every single person on the face of the earth, regardless of their circumstances, because gratitude always produces joy, and gratitude is something you choose. The Apostle Paul could say, always be joyful, because he knew that joy is not the absence of problems. Joy is the presence of God. It's not the removal of suffering and pain and difficulty. It's the awareness that there is a God who is with you in the middle of pain and suffering and difficulty who is still showering down upon you uncountable blessings if you will only open your eyes to them. And even your hardship and suffering, he is using to produce more and greater blessings in your life. This kind of joy is mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and 156 times in the New Testament. C.S. Lewis said this, joy is the serious business of heaven. I like that. God himself is joyful, and his goal for you is to abide with him and be, joy and, and, and be filled with, with authentic, God-honoring, truth-embracing, pain-defying, defying joy. God came into this often ugly world in Jesus, and he told us that joy could happen even here, even in the world he lived, even in that kind of world that would crucify the Son of God. Even in your kind of world, joy can happen. Because the kind of, of, of world we live in, I mean, you could choose to be a discouraged person because there's a lot to be discouraged about. You could choose to be an angry person. There's a lot to be angry about. You could choose to be a cynical person. There's a lot to be cynical about. But God wants you to choose to be a joyful person because there is so, so much for you to be joyful about. Lewis Meads writes, you and I were created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. God has given you literally infinite reasons to be grateful. It's what we were created for, but sometimes we forget what we were born for. Oh, worship team, why don't you guys uh, come back up? 
So, so if humility is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit grows, what is gratitude? I like to think of gratitude as the sky. The sky that provides the sunshine without which no fruit can grow. Nothing can grow. The sky where rain comes from also without which nothing can grow. See, the earth, it's finite. And that's what we're rooted in. We are rooted in finiteness. And, and it speaks to the reality of our humble condition. But the sky is infinite and speaks to the unlimited, endless grace and abundant blessings of God. Don't lock yourself in a prison where you can't even see the sky through complaining and negativity and ingratitude and entitlement. See, gratitude is lifting up your eyes and opening yourself up to the sunshine without, without which nothing grows, or perhaps orienting yourself to the sunshine and the rain for which we can be extremely grateful. Here's the thing. You know, we are, like Jesus says in John 14, we are the branches. He is the vine, we are the branches. But we are branches with a will of our own. We are st very stubborn branches. And we are capable of, and, and have typically been very successful at, closing our eyes and our minds to the sunshine that God provides, to the humility that is a reality for us. We're, we're made of dirt. We close our eyes to those things, and we actually begin to entertain ideas of entitlement. Why did the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years? The journey from where they started to the promised land, I think you could make that journey on foot in a week. 40 years. 40 years it took them. Why? One reason. Who knows why they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years? Ingratitude. Complaining. Grumbling. Whining. And they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 They were kept from the promises of God for 40 years. When you complain, you are closing yourself off from the sky and choosing to focus only on the dirt, only on the humbleness of your circumstances. Listen, true, you were planted in the dirt, but you were created to grow toward the sky. Gratitude is what causes you to grow upward into the infinite uh, expanse that God has created you for. So, so, next time you are tempted to complain about anything, anything, Next time you're, contempted, you're uh, tempted to complain, to be annoyed, to be irritated, to be bothered, to be resentful or angry because life isn't meeting your expectations. People are not meeting your expectations. Seem, things seem to be out of your control. Nothing seems to be going the way you want. Just recognize, number one, that you're in that state. Just recognize it, stop, and then choose gratitude to find something to be grateful for because gratitude always produces joy and gratitude is something you can choose. Now, listen, don't beat yourself up if you struggle with this. We all do. 
most of us have spent our whole lives looking for the beads and complaining, you know, growing resentful and bitter because we don't have the right ones. It takes time and practice to learn to shift our focus from the outer beads and pinning all of our happiness on the outer beads. It takes time and practice to learn how to shift it to the inside, to the string that runs through them all and develop that into a string of gratitude. You have so much to be grateful for. So, Heavenly Father, forgive us for uh, closing ourselves off to the joy that you want to give us. Forgive us for, for even be thinking for a moment that we are entitled to anything. Um, Lord, everything that we have, every good and perfect gift has come from you as a gift. And you want to produce in us so many more wonderful things. God, as we leave here today, may we just step out of these doors and look up at the sky and just be grateful for the sunshine and grateful for where we live and grateful for our families and, and, and grateful for the, the, the abundance of material blessings you've given us, grateful for the people in our lives, grateful for our jobs, or grateful that we live in a place where we can find a job. Just help us to begin to count our blessings and orient ourselves in gratitude towards you. And thank you that you are so very gracious and patient with us as we are learning these things. Um, we want to bear the fruit of the Spirit and so prove that we are your disciples, God. So um, thank you for, for your faithfulness toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.